Allow me to pray. Father, may the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart, be pleasing in your sight. Amen. Now, not a single week passes by without us hearing of reports of bullying. We hear of powerful Christian leaders bullying their staff, removing them from the board, from the inner circle. We read of a group of students peeing, urinating on fellow students in the toilet in what could have been a hazing activity. We saw the news in uh, San Francisco of a Chinese grandmother who was punched in the face by a white man after yelling Chinese. And then, of course, we also heard about the interview of two royals disclosing on American television how they were victims of bullying while in the palace. Now, whenever people learn, hear, and see such bullying, they respond. So some churches have already set up whistle-blowing channels to report abuses and bullying. They respond in repentance and with a vow to clean up. Now, in the case of the uh, grandma, people poured in donations to her, which amounted to nearly $1 million. There you have a response of sympathy. But then there are also responses that were neither sympathetic nor retributive. There was no pity for the victims. There was no anger towards the bullies. Instead, people chanced upon entertainment. So they laughed at it. They crafted memes and made light of the bullying. So you've heard this? Oh, do not be quick to judge, they say. They were peeing on the students because they were stung by jellyfish. And to the opera interview, there was a response of nonchalance. Some could not care less. They even said, it is time to rethink of the relevance of the British monarchy. So how would you respond to bullying? Now in the passage that we just read, there is a man bullied. More accurately, there is a royal who was bullied. Jesus, the king of the Jews, was the victim of bullying. It was a bullying that started into the night. He was arrested while the whole town was asleep. And the king was blindfolded. The king was struck. The king was mocked. The king was questioned until dawn. And the bullying continues here in chapter 23. As Jesus was being sent to Pilate. Comprising of the chief priests, the scribes and elders, the religious leaders, in short, they lodged their accusations against Jesus. And they said, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is the Christ, a king. So these were the accusations that they laid before Pilate. Now, what do we know about Pilate? Well, Pilate is a procurator. It's a Roman official who had full control in the province. 
Pilate, he is in charge of the army of occupation. He had the full powers of life and death. He even has control over the temple, the vestments of the high priests, and the temple funds. Now, of all the accusations that the religious leaders mentioned, Pilate only responded to one, the charge that Jesus is the Christ, which is synonymous to king. Now, one can say that the last charge summarizes all charges. Why? Because a self-proclaimed king would, number one, oppose foreign rule, mislead the nation. And number two, oppose foreign taxation. And so Pilate took note on only of the third charge that the leaders laid against Jesus because it summarizes all the charges. And yet, another way to look at it is Pilate's dismissive attitude towards all the charges. You know, it is no big secret that the Jews do not welcome Roman rule. And so should there be a king that will rise and uh, take down Rome, why in the world are they handing over this liberator? And so these charges, their charges, therefore, hold no water. It is just ridiculous. And so Pilate chooses to address the ridiculous charge because it is clearly a case of bullying. Now, mind you, Pilate and the Jewish leaders, they are not exactly on amicable terms. Firstly, Pilate is a Roman official. Secondly, Pilate had used temple money to construct a canal in order to bring water from a spring which was about 40 kilometers away. Thirdly, Luke tells us in chapter 13 that Pilate had massacred rioting Jews by mingling their blood in, with their sacrifices. And surely, that did not sit well with the Jews. So there was mutual dislike. Now this may help us understand why Pilate simply asked the accused, are you the king of the Jews? To which Jesus answered, you have said so. And then Pilate said to the chief priest, light comes up, he says, I find no guilt in this man. Now in, this, in today's lingo, this would have sounded like, these are the charges read against you. How do you plead? And the accused then replies, well, as you have said so. To which the judge declares the accused not guilty. And then he pounds the gavel. Pilate knew very well it was a case of bullying. How did he respond? Well, Pilate, he seemed to side with the victim. He defended Jesus by quickly declaring him not guilty. But the bullying persisted. Next slide. He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. 
Now, when Pilate learned that Jesus was from Galilee, the light bulb lit up. Herod. Galilee is Herod's territory. And Herod, well, he happens to be in Jerusalem at that time. Now, what do we know about Herod? Well, Herod is a tetrarch. He is a governor that was appointed by Rome. His father was Herod the Great, who was the king at the time of Jesus' birth. This Herod was the Herod who had John the Baptist beheaded uh, because John had spoken against his marriage to Herodias. This Herod was likely referred to by Jesus in the parable of the nobleman. You remember that parable? The nobleman who went to a faraway country in order to be crowned king. Well, that nobleman was Herod's brother, Archelaus whose claim for kingship he opposed because Herod wanted the claim for king for himself. So why did Pilate hand over the king of the Jews to Herod? Well, it was a political gesture. Now historians tell us that there was enmity between the two because Pilate had slain some of Herod's subjects during his massacre. And so by handing over a trial case to Herod, Herod, or rather Pilate, was acting diplom diplomatically to Herod. He was showing deference to Herod. And Herod, we are told, was very glad to see Jesus. Luke tells us he had long wanted to see Jesus because Herod heard about his miracles. He even thought that Jesus was, was John the Baptist who came back to life. And so finally, he sees the man himself. But what did Herod do to the man who was bullied? Well, he examined Jesus at length. He got no answer, and along with his soldiers, he added to the bullying. They dressed Jesus in splendid robes, presumably, royal robes to mark his kingship. You know, if they had smartphones, they would have TikToked Jesus in his royal robes to mark him. If How did Herod and his men reacted to the bullying of Jesus? Well, they got entertainment out of Jesus. They mocked him further. And when they were done, Herod sent Jesus back to Pilate. It's an amicable gesture that somehow restored their relationship. Verse 12, and Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. So what did Pilate and Herod do about the bullying that was done to Jesus? Well, one, seemed to sympathize and help the bullet at the onset. But this one would only, would only go so far as long as it would not jeopardize his political interests. Pilate didn't like the Jews, so he tried to bully them back. But when a riot was brewing and his office was threatened, he took a step back 
and gave in to the demands of a stronger, louder opinion. Jesus was further bullied because somebody loved his present comfort and didn't want to rock the boat too much. And then you have another who just wanted entertainment out of it, Herod. Now, there must be a reason why Jesus didn't speak a word at all to Herod. Well, this was the man who murdered his cousin, John. This was also the man who wasn't really serious about the truth. He just wanted to see signs and thus satisfy his thirst for the extraordinary. And once he is done with entertainment, he is done with Jesus. It's time to hand him back to Pilate. Now listen. Herod represents those who are attracted to Jesus and Christianity because of the entertainment they get out of it. They are those who like the raras and the bustles of a rock concert atmosphere, of magic shows, of cheer dancing competitions, but will have none of those once they start to call out sin. Those that flag out the lust of the flesh or the love of money. So Herod, he honored John the Baptist until, until John spoke against his immorality. Until John called out his wrongful marriage. Herod then canceled John. See, canceled culture is not something new. He canceled John, he put him into prison, and in the end, he beheaded him. Herod represents those who love the allure of intellectual discussion of the Bible, but would not allow God's word to change their lifestyle. They end up mocking Jesus and his teachings. And so the royal, Jesus, was bullied. Herod couldn't care less. He just wanted entertainment. And when he didn't get enough, he joined in the bullying. And Pilate? Well, Pilate could only do so much because his office was more important to him than to get in the way of the Jewish religious issue that didn't serve his interests or the interests of Rome. So Pilate ended up having to release Barabbas. Now we just read the passage. Notice that Luke highlights for us twice that this man, Barabbas, was in prison for insurrection and for murder. Verses 19 and 25. Now this highlights a few things for us. Firstly, it highlights the absurdity of releasing an insurrectionist and murder, just like that. Didn't you notice? There, was, there wasn't any sentence review. There was no evidence of remorse, of good behavior in prison. There was no appearance before a parole board in order to say things like, well, I stand before you today not trying to excuse myself. I stand before you today knowing that I've killed a person, and I've lived that for years, and I want it 
to do something. I, I'm a changed person. I'm given a chance. Well, there was none of that. Luke is highlighting for us Pilate's release of a harmful man in exchange of the death of a harmless man. Pilate's action, my friends, it defies common sense. It is plain stupid. But that is what people do when they listen to the loud voices that threaten the things that they hold dear. For the sake of Pax Romana, for the sake of peace, even if the action were wrong. So when the royalist bullied, powerful people acted only so much so as not to disrupt their comfortable lifestyle. At times, joining in the bullying. And at other times, doing stupid things. And yet in God's sovereignty, when the guilty was set free and the innocent crucified, it alluded to what Jesus would do. He would die in place of the guilty so that the guilty might live. And so, in God's sovereignty, the bullying continued. Verses 26 and 27, slide. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. Now, the mention of Simon of Cyrene was perhaps Luke's record of eyewitnesses to the uh, crucifixion. It was his way of saying the crucifixion did take place and Simon of Cyrene would testify to it because at that time he was conscripted. You know, he was just minding his own business, but he was then asked to carry Jesus' cross. But our attention must focus on the multitude who were mourning and lamenting for Jesus. You see, that is one response to bullying. People grieve. People mourn. People feel sorry at the sight of bullying. Sometimes they say with tears, I feel you. That was why, for the Chinese grandma in San Fran, there was an outpour of money when they saw her swollen, blue-back face crying on the corner of the street. The women who followed Jesus felt sorry for the king. They mourned for him. They lamented for him. But look how Jesus reacted. The royal Jesus didn't say, I'll be all right. He didn't say, don't worry, I can take the beating. He didn't say, it's going to be all right. No, Jesus did not give such an assurance. Instead, Jesus issued a warning. Next slide, verses 28 and following. He tells them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, 
Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? See, what was Jesus telling the women? It is certainly not going to be all right. See, in previous chapters, Jesus had already warned of the coming judgment against Jerusalem. Why? Because of the people's rejection. Jesus told them, next slide, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jesus says, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Jesus warns the women and tells them that the judgment is going to be so severe that when that time comes, childless women would be better off than nursing mothers. It is a picture of severe hunger that made mothers resort to cannibalism when the city is placed under siege. It is a picture of a frightening judgment that would make people long for death. Mountains to cover them rather than live in suffering. They would shout, fall on us, mountains, cover us, hills. Why judgment? Verse 31. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Now, friends, you and I know that no one chops down and burns a good piece of green wood. They only do that to dead, dry wood. So if they did that to green wood, how much worse will it be for the dry wood? Whatever Jesus is alluding to, his purpose is to say, it is going to be a lot worse for the bad, for the guilty, for the wicked. In other words, Jesus is telling the mourners, the women, the people who are lamenting, who are mourning, he's telling them, do not feel sorry for me. Be sorry for yourselves and your children. Because with continued rejection of God's Son, it is not going to be all right. See, in the midst of his suffering, Jesus is not looking for pity. He is rather looking for repentance. Now, in my growing up years in the Philippines, Good Friday is, I tell you, a very frightening day. The frightening spectacle begins on Thursday when people would read the passion narratives over the loudspeakers nonstop. Then throngs of people, bare-bodied, would parade the streets and with their faces covered in black cloth, they would whip their backs until red and blooded. And then comes Good Friday, the day I was told that God is dead. And so no one goes to the beaches on Good Friday because God is dead. 
No one dives into the swimming pool on Good Friday because God is dead. You're on your own, buddy. The streets are empty and quiet because don't go out. God is dead. Nowadays, the only time the streets in Manila is quiet and empty is when Mani Pacquiao has a boxing fight on TV. Nobody consumes alcohol on Good Friday. Nobody parties on Good Friday. And if you switch on the TV, they all show all they show was the Passion of Christ film nonstop. And Good Friday is a day of fasting and mourning because Jesus suffered and died. Everyone is supposed to be gloomy. The mood is supposed to be somber. But maybe we got it all wrong. Jesus does not want you to feel sorry for him. He wants you to be sorry. He wants you to repent and run to him. He doesn't want you to be sad and joyless because you fasted from Netflix or bubble tea or your mobile device. He doesn't even want you to fast from sin. He wants you to give up sin. He wants you to turn away from sin. To find forgiveness in him. And avoid judgment. And so to those who responded in pity, in grief and mourning to the bullying of Jesus, the king doesn't want your pity. He wants your repentance and obedience because he is coming again soon to judge the living and the dead. And finally, we come to one of the most solemn yet most loved accounts in the Bible. Jesus and the two criminals crucified along with him. Now, already hung on the cross, the taunting, the scoffing, the bullying of Jesus continued. Next slide. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And then soldiers mocked him too, saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now one response to the bullying that we should not miss is this one that comes from the other criminal. He told the other criminal off, and he says, next slide, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. He rebuked the bully, the other criminal who says, save us, save yourself and save us. This other criminal rebuked the bully and tried to talk sense into him. Do you not fear God? Do you not fear that this innocent man is given the same judgment as us who are guilty? You see, this criminal understood what was happening. If they do these things when the wood is green... What will happen when it is dry? If the innocent suffer, think how worse it will be for the guilty. So quickly, I remember in my school days when exam results were given back, 
if the best in class got a failing mark, how much worse will it be for people like me who did not study at all? Apply that to sin and judgment. If the innocent Jesus suffered though without sin, is it not horrific to think what would happen to the guilty, to the sinful? So how did the criminal on the cross respond to the mocking, to the bullying that was done against Jesus? Well, he defended Jesus' innocence. He acknowledged his guilt. He accepted his deserved, deserved punishment. And he beseeched Jesus to remember him. See, people gave different responses to the bullying of Jesus. But this criminal, his response was the only one that earned him a blessed assurance. Jesus said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is one of the most loved accounts in the Bible because it shows the grace and forgiveness of the Lord, even when one comes to repentance at the very last minute. Which is why one Scottish preacher remarked, and he says, It cannot be too often, or too loudly, or too solemnly repeated that the Bible, which ranges over a period of 4,000 years, records but one instance of a deathbed conversion. One that none may despair, and but one that none may presume. Jesus was bullied, mocked, punished until he was crucified. What is your response, friends? Is it one of nonchalance? Is it one of mockery? Is it one of pity? Or is it one of repentance? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Let us pray. We come before you, Father, acknowledging our guilt, our undeservedness of the gift of your Son, Jesus, who suffered and died on the cross to pay for our sins. He died in our place so that we who are the guilty may be given new life, may be set free. Oh, how we adore your Son, the Lord Jesus. Teach us to repent from our sins and run to him. For that is the response that Jesus is looking for. For in his name we pray. Amen.